listening to the All Things Geekery podcast. This is episode 19 of season 3, and this one's on The Mandalorian. I'm your host, Detached. Hey guys, and I'm Victus. Well, we want to welcome all our listeners back to the show, and if it's your first time with us, then we thank you for stopping in and joining us. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. Long ago... In an episode far, far away, we explore The Mandalorian, our new miniseries covering the mysterious and also fascinating character from The Mandalorian on Disney+. We'll be covering the first four episodes of the show and discussing what our favorite parts were. So, yeah, uh, Mandalorian has been here for, we're now, uh, as of this recording, six episodes deep, but we're only going to be covering the first four. Uh, and it is a phenomenon. It is right a now. phenomenon, and uh, we were actually going to be recording this two weeks ago, but Victus and I have come down with the Black Plague over the last couple of weeks, and Basi- uh, basically, yeah. yeah, you know, almost on the deathbed. No, I'm joking. We, we had a head cold, <laughs> but we're big babies when we're sick, and I'm pretty sure you didn't want to hear us coughing and hacking and you know blowing all the head junk out of our. Our noses. So, two weeks later, we are finally, finally getting to record uh, one of the most exciting podcast episodes I think we've had to date. So, let's get started. And I think we're going to jump some things off with a little bit of history of Mandalore. Because I think we have all got to go back, way back, and talk a little bit about the lore. Well, and I mean, we in the original trilogy, we got, I don't even think we got mention of a Mandalorian until maybe the books came into play. And then we realized that uh, Boba Fett ended up being a Mandalorian, I think. If that serves correct. Or he was, no, it was Django that was was Mandalorian. Django that was Mandalorian. And Boba uh, inherited his armor. Yeah, Boba inherited his armor, but Boba was actually not a Mandalorian. He he wasn't even tied to their their clan. Yeah. Of course, he wore the armor that we saw in the original trilogy. We found out his father, Django, uh, in the uh, prequels. And... You know, from there, people started to get fascinated. Uh, you also go into the books. Yeah. And uh, books, I think, talk about Boba actually going back and becoming a Mandalorian. He goes through the rites of passage, right, and gets adopted into the the clanship that is um, a well, Mandalorian. Yeah, kind of what we know of uh, today anyways. So, yep. uh, I think the, the very first time we ever heard of the Mandalorians, uh, they, they made a debut in a comic book series that was published back in 1983. Uh, I was two when this comic book came out. So uh, you do the math, you'll figure it out. Uh, It was Star Wars number 68, but that was the very first time we ever heard about the Mandalorians. Um, It was all from a comic book series, which is crazy. Yep. Uh, From there, I mean, it just expanded. We, We found out that home planet of Mandalorian was Mandalore, um it's it's their their home their birthplace right it's yeah where all the mandalorians like to go back to it's it's where everything's based at no matter whose whose ownership of it is uh everybody goes back there um yeah, it, uh you know it's funny the 
just reading some of the lore and stuff on Mandalore, they had a they had a moon called Concordia, and they actually they had a mining settlement out on this moon, um, where a lot of the Mandalorian warriors had actually been exiled to, um, which is interesting. So you know these these warriors being exiled to a mining settlement, um, it's it's strange to me because you know the Mandalorians were quote-unquote, considered the greatest warriors in the galaxy. Uh, their warriors were, were quite skilled in combat, and here they are getting exiled to uh, a mining community. Yeah, I mean, even even if you go into now Legends, but it was lore, uh, they go all the way back to the Old Republic time where they yeah. were brought in as... I mean, they rivaled Jedi as the fiercest warriors in the galaxy, and some say they could even beat a Jedi, mostly because of the technology that they used and then by the metal that they used could easily yeah, counter a Jedi. It could, it could withstand it. Yeah. But you, um, you are definitely right on the technology. Their, their ability to, to hone in on technology was crazy and their suits housed so much tech, so many different yeah. weapons. It was just, it was amazing what they could, uh, could hold on board their uh, suits and still be mobile. I mean, you could you could almost say from a from a clanship standpoint, they were kind of looked at as um, the uh, when you add in their armor, it was uh, like the Star Wars Iron Man of, of sorts from a from an entire planet of them, right? Of the clans combined together. But then also, you know, they came to uh, we saw much more of them in the Clone War series. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. TV show like much more in that and then extended a little bit into rebels where we find out is you know mandalore's uh largely uninhabitable desert caused yeah. by war with the jedi oh so that that's actually a really uh kind of cool segue because the the whole uninhabitable piece you know that was basically it was almost a civil war in 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 a sense between the mandalorians and the jedi um I don't know. There's the the tech that happened between the Mandalorians, the whole Jedi outbreak. Uh, they basically destroyed this planet, so which is crazy. Yep. But they're also very rich in their culture about coming back to, um, well, it, that, and and keeping together. Yeah, that brings up a cool point. Um, and just to give some throwback to the show and the way the director John Favreau has really done things for anybody that's a huge fan of Western films and, and kind of the old school samurai we're talking like 1950s samurai films. I think, I think the, the show really kind of pays homage to some of that um, movie making. It has that old Western um, feel to it. You know, the, the Mandalorian walking through the desert scenes with the, the handheld pistol and just, you know, his cape blowing in the wind, it really just kind of gives that old school standoff of an old Western, which I love. Well, I mean, that's what they were going for with this. And, and we saw this, you know, the, the writing on the wall, per se, going into Mandalorian with uh, how he was getting inspiration for it and some of the leaked um, or even just the little trailer tidbits here. And like you said, the, the initial just poster yeah. of it. We already got a sense of where this is going, where it's a, um, you know, 
giving off the sense of a lone person. He's uh, not necessarily isolated, but he does a lot by himself. Um, we can kind of take it from there to go a logical step of something will change to change him from a um, what is uh, a modern day bounty hunter. We, you know, we can kind of kind of go ahead and feel that out that something's going to change and make him a a multi you know multi seasonal character that we need to follow along to figure out what happens to him. Yeah. Instead of just a bad guy, he does stuff and comes back and you know, or he's a um, morally uh, ambiguous person, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put that. <laughs> a morally ambiguous person where he just goes for the job, right? Because yeah. we are, we knew he was going to be a bounty hunter because the time period that they're going into and and the area that they talked about, yeah, it's a lawless area. Yeah. So, so you said time period. I think, uh, I think for a lot of the listeners out there, I think we probably need to mention uh, time frame as well for the absolutely. Mandalorian. So, uh, let's talk time frame for just a bit before we jump into the actual chapter breakdown. Um, if you look at, let's let's talk the end of the Return of the Jedi to the time span we have from there to the Force Awakens, <clears throat> which is quite a bit of time. We're not talking, you know, a couple of years here. Um, we're talking a few years uh, between when we see kind of the ending scene of the Return of the Jedi to you know the opening scene with with Finn and Ray and the you know the new the new gang that we've got now. Um, so where does the where does the Mandalorian fit in that time frame? Well, I mean, you take place about five years after the. Um second battle or the second battle of the death star follow death star 2 however you want to call it battle of endor yeah the battle of endor right? really yeah so uh that's where it takes place the new republic is in its infancy uh it hasn't been able to establish right. its uh governance ground into all sectors that the empire had control of so you got this especially in the areas farthest from uh, the core worlds becomes it's just a lawless world yeah um and the empire is basically no more in. yeah yep yeah tons of crime and but that's really what i kind of like about what they're doing here with all the different episodes is i mean we're getting to see some of the uncharted territory of the star wars lore um we are going to some familiar places but I think they've done a lot with the time frame that we've got like you said it's five years so i mean five years there's a lot that can happen but if you look at the the timelines of where we were with Luke and Leah and and their bunch to to Finn and Ray, you know those timelines are still happening with Finn and Ray and all them. They're they're still there, and Leah and and that gang right after Return of the Jedi. So I I like how they've woven this into that same time frame. But you are right; the whole galaxy is basically in in shambles at this point. I mean, the Empire's all but been destroyed. I mean, there's you know, little tidbits and, and pockets of them left around. Um, we see that in some of the, the early episodes of The Mandalorian with stormtroopers still around. And I, I think even some of the, the people that had allegiances to the Empire have all but become, you know, kind of outlied in the different worlds. Yep. Warlords and mm -hmm. um, they've consolidated their power into small little sections. So, uh we almost see that. I mean, we, we can go right into, before we get to the point, I mean, that's jumping ahead. Uh, we can jump right into the episode one. Yeah. Um, 
and how it starts off. And it basically starts off just like we see in all the posters. <laughs> yeah. Lone Mandalorian walking down walking into, into a scene. cantina. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love what they did there because it really set the tone for the show and how... I, I mean, don't get me, don't get me wrong. I, I like the... I like the idea of having a season-based Star Wars show and I think we're going to get a lot more as the seasons go. Like you said, this show has really become a phenomenon, but when the, the Mandalorian walked into the bar scene, the doors opened up and he walked in, it was like, oh, watch out. He just showed up because you just, right. there's something about him. It's different. Um, and I think even the people well, in the in the bar scene even knew it. Yeah. I mean, y- from across the episodes and even before that, you know, Mandalorians were and still are considered fierce warriors, right? Oh, they're, absolutely. They're legendary. I mean, we see it, uh, evidence of their renown throughout the coming episodes that we talk about. And so these guys knew it. Yeah. Didn't know why he was there, but he grabbed the attention of the room. Um, and of course, you know, some big boss guy <laughs> decides yeah. to be all bad and tough to him, right? Which is funny. Um, so. so a couple of Easter eggs uh, to kick this uh, first bit off with our, our chapters. Uh, if you if you look back at that bar scene, so the the bearded man that actually kind of picks the fight uh, with Mando, he is actually speaking uh, Huttese, which is the language mm-hmm. of the huts. Um, I don't know. I don't know how many people actually caught on to that. Um, I actually had to to go back and re listen to it again um, after we. There's so many little tidbits in the show. You kind of pause and, you know, you go back and rewatch and you're like, whoa, how did I miss that? But yeah, he's actually speaking Huttese. Yep. Which is um, kind of tells also the domain because usually that doesn't come in until um, the huts have taken over that area and it shows the actual, I want to say geographical area of the universe that they're in, which has been just noted to say the outer rim area. Which by default is lawless, so uh, it was really cool that they kept with the Huddy's language there. Yeah, love that. Um, um, another cool callback they had was uh, the mention of Life Day. And if you are a true Star Wars fan, then you've probably heard um, the word Life Day before. So Life Day in the Star Wars universe is actually the equivalent to our modern day Christmas it was a time of resting and having fun with your loved ones. Um, the Life Day um, word, and it was actually kind of the first time we ever heard it, was introduced via a TV production way back in the day. And uh, it was kind of a special that they were doing for a promotion on Star Wars called Life Day. Ah, okay. I was wondering if it tied into that or not. It did, yes. Okay. Yep. I've kind of um, erased any type of TV production Star Wars from uh, recollection. They were terrible back so, in the day. Uh, they were terrible. <laughs> but we we have the great renown that is the holiday special. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were the production um, levels back in the day were not that good when it came to TV. But I thought that was a really cool. Uh, you know, callback to kind of some some neat Star Wars lore, and I I honestly think this just kind of pays a little bit of respect to the director and, and Disney for really digging deep into 
kind of the roots of Star Wars and and digging down into some of the the fan fan favorite stuff that's out there. Yeah, and it kind of like you mentioned it um all the call outs so you get these little tidbits right yeah. they could be the main story and if you blink you missed it but it was actually a really cool call out easter egg throughout all the episodes i don't think there's hasn't been one episode that hasn't had really cool callbacks yeah and connections to these different sections of star wars lore um for example one of the ones things we see um on the mandalorian himself is his rifle yeah very unique rifle it's extremely unique yeah uh compared to and, and we see it's uh lethality um is that a word sounds like, like this word i feel like yes. this word that's yeah. a, a, that's that's a word it is it is definitely a word and is a very appropriate <laughs> word for this weapon as well yes. because it obliterates yes. things disintegrates there's yeah. there's gone yeah just gone uh and and uh, I, I do like that you uh uh, you have added the name of this this rifle. So I I searched and searched and could not find the name of this thing. I could not think of it for the life <laughs> of me. Yeah, but apparently it's a modified Amban rifle. Yeah, Amban Amban. I'm gonna say that's how. Yep. How's, okay. Um, but uh, apparently this rifle has its all the way into what you called out there the Life Day Special. Yeah, uh, it, or modified version of it. Yeah. So Boba Fett was actually uh, back in this TV special, the the kind of the first airing of this. Uh, Boba Fett was actually seen wielding this weapon. Um, now we didn't know really where it was going to go from there. You know, this TV special was aired back in nineteen seventy nine or nineteen eighty, if I remember right. Maybe even eighty one. I can't remember the the actual date that I found on it, but uh, a long time ago. But it's it's cool that they've gone so far back into some of the you know roots and the the lore to find this information. Absolutely, and pulling from the, even the obscure references. Oh yeah. Um, I I wonder if we'll actually get more history in the movie or in the TV or streaming shows. Uh, that is the Mandalorian about the rifle. I maybe we will, maybe we won't. Um, about like where he got it did he inherit it um is it just a item that he has but uh, it seems to be a very sought after piece of equipment <laughs> well, uh, and very uh very uh um like he doesn't want to share it type <laughs> oh, no. too. can't no, blame no, no. him that is a that is a prized weapon of his for sure so yeah. and you made a good call out with the whole history piece and i, I think i think disney has such a good point to be able to make with these different shows that they're they're pulling out right now because they can they can really dig into a lot of different aspects of the Star Wars canon and and pull them into the shows whereas you're kind of limited with the the films because it's such a big production and such a long time to make uh, a movie and it's it's a little different with the TV shows. Uh, I know that The Mandalorian is a really big production. You've still got the production cost. You've got the long time frames. But with them being episodic versus, uh, you know, a three-hour movie, I think you can do more with it because you can explore a lot of different uh, timelines as long as they pull those stories together. I think they'll yep. do good. Yep. Um before we actually jump into um, the, the the meat and potatoes of episode one or chapter one, uh, another little uh, tidbit we saw in 
that that was very fascinating to call back to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. The door door security droid. <laughs> yep. That's there. Yeah, he was always... I couldn't help but call back to that exact scene in Return of the Jedi where it pops out, talks to C-3PO, and then it laughs as it goes back in the... <laughs> yep. I fully expected a laugh on it when it saw it, the place card that the Mandalorian held up. I did too. He's actually seen a couple of different times in uh, in the show so far too, so... Uh, and he yep. he has a name. There is an actual name for this door security droid, and uh, I cannot remember it for the life of me right now. It's like JT seven eight eight or something like that. TT eight L Y seven gatekeeper droid. That is it. TT. Yeah. TT. So interesting yep. interesting little uh fan tidbits there but i think it's time to jump into the meat and potatoes of chapter one and one of the very first things that really caught my attention was that they talked about foundlings and i mm-hmm. love that they went there because not too many people know what uh, a foundling is and from a mandalorian standpoint a foundling is a orphaned child so Mando, if you guys didn't know this, was not actually born a Mandalorian. He is an outsider and uh, was orphaned, but he was actually adopted into their culture and uh, became a Mandalorian warrior. thought that was really cool how they brought that in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it you see when... And we can jump through the when he gets the uh, first the best car plate to get turned into armor. They you know they call out the foundlings there, but then we get glimpses back into his time on. We're gonna assume Mandalore during the time of these you know galactic civil war between the the Republic and the Separatists. Yeah, because we see clankers there yep. or super battle super droids. Super battle droids. Yep. For like a split second. And we can tell the timeline that's happening there, but and we can assume the kid in those is him. Um, from there, it's uh, just a connection of the dots that he was adopted as part of the Mandalorian culture, and yeah, thereby where he's at today. Yeah, and uh, again, really love uh, you know the timeline of what they're doing here. Um, I think it was great that they started with the whole foundling, so they give a really good foundation. Um, they start some things off. You get a little bit of the mystery around who Mando is. Um, they don't really explain a whole lot of his childhood, but you get some little flashbacks, like you said. And then, uh, you know, they kind of they kind of kick things off a little slower in this first episode. So you get to see some more things, um, one of them being the actual guild of the Mandalorians. So you get to kind of find out who some of these Mandalorians are, what they do, and uh, they've got a code. And I like that because the Mandalorians being a, a warrior... That means there's some honor. There is a code that they have to live by. And I like what they've done with that. It's kind of cool. Right. And even part of that, because he's part of the Bounty Hunters Guild, there's another code on top of that <laughs> Yeah. that he has to follow um, with, with his bounties. And we see that in different aspects throughout the episodes. Um, we see that the armor that he's wearing is not... Beskar armor it looks like just a, a molded in the same way as a Mandalorian would have his armor, but it's definitely not um, that type of armor. Just due to uh, 
it can take damage really yeah it, and and he's replacing it i mean we we do learn quickly that he is uh, looking to you know get the money to be able to replace it um because mm-hmm. we we end up meeting the blacksmith in the film or the show anyways pretty quickly uh which i which i liked i love the fact that there's kind of this mysterious relationship between mando and this uh you know blacksmith that is now making his armor so if you guys didn't know this metal that he actually gains from the bounties or the bounty specifically that we uh, we got to see was gathered from the great purge um so that's that's where this metal's coming from that he's getting his armor made of it's extremely rare um and extremely valuable which uh yeah. you know if you look at the rest of the mandalorian armor that's in the show he stands out there's nobody else that looks like him yep absolutely they all have modified of different armor sets oh yeah and really that in the episode one we get the first mention of the beskar and um the renown to that type of armor and reason why it was mined and kept part of the empire yeah it was the only thing that could i mean you are basically impervious to blaster fire yeah to even up to possibly heavy blaster fire uh and very resistant to lightsabers yeah that's why they were so deadly are yeah. so much of a um hindrance uh good warriors against the jedi or and sith alike they (laughs) sometimes they didn't choose a side no they just wanted to be left alone they just wanted to be left they they were they were very neutral but uh i i do i do think a lot of them had their you know they had their vows they had they had definitely had things that they um were extremely loyal to and you didn't mess with that because they would you know they would take care of business and and not let you get in the way of the things that they were loyal to for sure so yep and with that you know you mentioned the blacksmith which she immediately seems and you get the feel of kind of a uh not maybe a leader type uh sense or a guide a, a sage yeah kind keeps of keeps everybody in line i think sage yeah sage is a good point to that uh there was even a there was even a bit where she kind of reminded a few of them what what the code was like why why we still do this um to me, there there's kind of an underlying like why she is a blacksmith. There seemed to be an underlying bit there. Uh, maybe maybe it was rage or, or vengeance. Maybe she was trying to 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 get back at the empire. I don't know. There just seemed to me you you could kind of tell that there was uh, she really took pride in her craft and what she did. So uh, the blacksmith yep. has been a, a cool character for me. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, kind of her helmet and some of the colors and stuff on the Mandalorian armor here in a little bit too. Um, yep, because so. that is actually very important. But I think I think we get to that in episode three, three. when yeah, we yeah. see a lot so, much more of I, them. I won't I won't take us down the uh, you know uh, <laughs> wild goose chases. Uh, next little bit though, this is an interesting character for me. So we're going to talk about Grief Karga for a minute, which he is the the Mandalorian guild leader, and to me. I did not like the character at all. Uh, personally, for me, the the actor they chose to play this, he, I don't know, he just had this scoundrelish, uh, rogue agent type personality, which 
I, I get it. You're a bounty hunter leader. So I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, you're a snake in the grass and, you know, you're a little manipulative. Yep. And I, I think from that standpoint, he pulled the persona off. But the character to me, the, the actor just didn't fit the character for some reason, personally for me. Um, so I think... I think it's going to be interesting how they bring him in because he, he's clearly not dead. And, you know, you, you haven't seen him past this chapter one in into any of the other episodes anyways, other than, you know, a couple of holograms that they've shown. Um, yeah. So he, he's kind of a he's kind of a question mark for me. Like, what are they going to do with this guild leader? How is he going to how is he going to uh, play into Mando's story? Uh, that that piece is kind of a big question mark for me. Yeah, I mean, he was, he's also, you know, the reason why he's in, he, uh, for one, he kind of, he has a great respect for the Mandalorian because out of all oh, his people that pick up pucks or bounties on other people, the Mando delivers, yeah, right? Extremely. Um, even so much that he is, feels good enough to present uh, Mando with a direct meeting with this apparent Imperial warlord or um what's left of his command which um, isn't a whole lot which isn't a whole lot just a handful of stormtroopers in probably the roughest condition i've seen yeah, stormtroopers be in because he's we've only seen him in pristine and these were these yeah. were desert rough yeah uh well-worn uniform you know armor pieces uh some even broken uh you could just tell that they had been through you know uh, the ringer <laughs> yeah for sure but so he goes to there, he, he gets the contract, goes on his way and um, goes to a planet um, for which uh, it, it almost has a very Tatooine type feel to it, but it more does. mountainous. It is it is a desert planet for sure, which, you know, there's more than one desert style planet in the Star Wars galaxy. Not everything is Tatooine yep. by any means, but it did have that feel to it, the way they the way they made the scenery and everything. Um this was an interesting bounty that he had for sure. Um yeah. and, and it's one where we meet probably the second favorite character of the show. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. The, the is... meeting of Kuil. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a nomad, a uh, keep by himself, uh Ugnot. Yeah, which, he, he's an Ugnot, which uh, is not a rare uh, species in Star Wars. We have seen him before, mm -mm. but uh, yep. Well, I think we've only seen besides the besides the animated series, we've only seen them on Bespin in Episode Five when we go to Cloud when the, the Cloud City. go to Cloud City. Uh, yeah, when they're working on the it's basically the scrap lines. Yep, but instead of the the interesting language that they use this one spoke basic which for those out there it's the it's what they call english in star wars universe basic basic yes. uh, so he was but his speech um i have spoken uh you hear that a lot but it's just really good because it's just kind of all right we're done we're gonna go <laughs> i have spoken so i have spoken <laughs> that that is the, that is the one term out of the entire movie that i absolutely grabbed a hold of so I told, yep. I told my wife, anytime my kids come and ask me something and I've already answered, I'm just going to say, I have spoken. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that's probably been used already a lot. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Absolutely. But, but through that, you know, he directs it to the, the city and we enter what everybody was immediately assumed was IG-88. 
uh, helping out and already there on scene to do this exact same bounty yeah. for that the Mandalorian was on uh, is actually not. I think it's IG-11. It's IG-11. So a yeah. few a few more, you know, a few more difference on the number, but same same model of robot. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was uh, this one was kind of funny because anytime he got in a sticky situation, he's like self destruct. Mando Mando kept <laughs> saying, "No, no, no, I, I don't need you. To stop that. I don't need you to self destruct." So uh, yeah. we can get out of this, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we we got this. We can handle it. But it was just interesting that he was he was so sought after. You know, part of his programming was to get renowned for himself, even when the Mandalorian even, said, "Hey, let's split it." Yeah, he he wanted that so. reputation for a robot yep. that was that was pretty interesting um you know however however they're programmed especially for being a bounty hunter um and, and the best part out of that entire episode was the ending it really was oh, absolutely cliffhanger like the the shocker of even in the entire series to date was the ending of episode one oh my where gosh Cutest, you finally see what he's been... <laughs> cutest right? freaking thing ever made on this planet. And we got yep. introduced to Baby Yoda. Which Baby Yoda. is actually not Baby Yoda, if you guys did not know. I'm sure if you've watched The Mandalorian, you know this. But if you haven't, uh, spoiler, it's not Baby Yoda, okay? Um, it is a Yoda species. But we do know he's a baby. Um, yep. That's 50 years old. <laughs> Uh, apparently apparently yes uh whether they age at just a really slow rate or their aging process goes in spurts to enter into different stages of life uh we have no idea total speculation of how you can go from baby yoda at 50 years old to 900 years old at yoda's age when he finally passed yeah yeah i mean yoda was 900 which is yep i mean if you if you think in those terms 50 years old being a baby to you know him being 900 there's not there's not that much of a time span for baby to the grown old man that we saw yoda as so definitely different for that that species which they haven't actually given a name of the species yet or or even named what this thing is everybody just went baby yoda but that's called that's the only thing we have to, to reference that that species too yeah. because I, even in the beginning George Lucas specifically kept it secret. Yeah, I mean he kept it mysterious. I mean we've it. we've had rumors in some of the the extended Star Wars lore about other you know other Yoda type species and but never never seeing them on screen uh, from the films anyways. But, yeah. So, and this is the only third um, showing of the species. We get Yoda throughout all the episodes and wherever we've seen him. Yeah. Uh, we get another one called Yaddle. Yaddle, yep. Uh, which we only see in episode one. He's part of the Jedi Council. Yeah. Um, and now we have Baby Yoda. Yeah, we got Baby Yoda. And because of that, I think they've, it's officially lured that they are very strong uh, genetically in their power to manipulate the Force. Yeah. Because um, we see we see it with Baby Yoda right off the bat. Oh yeah, yeah. 
spoilers. Yeah, um, there's going to be lots of spoilers in this, guys. I mean, you know, technically we're supposed to say spoilers before we say the spoiler, but, you know, we don't really know how, know what we're doing. So we talk and then we're like, oh, yeah, that was a spoiler. So, oh, by the way, guys, uh, we're going to have spoilers in the show. Way, yeah, uh, basically the entire, the entire, you know, talk about this in the next uh, part two is going to be you know, spoilers. Spoilers, uh, yes. Uh, but yeah. So... That ended episode one. The biggest everybody everybody got done. They're like, "What? Yep, Baby Yoda." And then kicked off the phenomenon that is now Baby Yoda across social media, across toys, everywhere, toys, drawings. All it is the new Tickle Me Elmo of this Christmas season. The art community blew up with Baby Yoda. Anything and everything you can think of. The memes are out of this world right now. I mean, it is it is across. All video games down to the dumbest things to the funniest things. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is. Baby Yoda has invaded all spaces. Yes, it has. Uh, and that's how they ended episode one. And that's how they ended episode one. Uh, chapter two. Uh, so let's say this. Chapter one was not actually called anything from a title standpoint. It was just called the Mandalorian oh. chapter one. Yep. Chapter two actually kicked things off. And they previewed a name. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So this one in chapter two kicked off with the child, mm-hmm. which kind of talks and about is, what we're going to be. Yeah, it's basically just him trying to get off planet. Right? Yeah. He's trying to deliver his bounty. Um, which, uh, so another thing happened at the end of this episode one is that the, uh, the IG-8 unit was tasked to kill the bounty um, instead of taking it alive, and he went to pull his blaster, and next thing you know, you hear a blaster shot, and it's the IG unit with a hole through his head, <laughs> yeah. falling backwards. So, so immediately get a sense of a little bit of morality is starting to slip through here with the Mandalorian. Yeah, as as we... at that point, you could say it was he really wanted the bigger reward because he knew that the oh, entire yeah. stack of Beskar armor was on the line. Oh yeah, uh, there. But really, yeah, there was there was a couple of things, and and granted, you can't see facial ex- expressions from from Mando, but you can see the body mannerisms, and you're you're right. He does know that all of that metal is sitting there, all of that reward for all of you know his armor, and that's what he wants. But there was something different too. Uh, there's there's this like relationship forming between him and this baby Yoda which has been really cool over the episode. Um, and chapter two really kind of brought that in even more so. So uh, a couple of Easter eggs, well, at least one Easter egg, kind of already talked about it, but Kuil, uh, um, if you guys didn't know, as soon as the voice spoke for the actor that was playing Kuil, and Kuil uh, is the Ugnot that we talked about a little bit ago that uh, Mando met, and he is kind of taking on the mentor role. If uh, if you guys know anything about writing, there's there's always a mentor in a good story. Uh, if you don't have a mentor, then yep. it's just kind of a bad day. If you look across Lord of the Rings, mentor was Gandalf. If you look in Star Wars, mentor the the mentor for the movies was Yoda. Now we've got Kuil for the Mandalorian. So it, it's a it's a good build up, and I thought. Kuil played a really good kind of mentor for for the moment that we got to see him. But the actor that played him was, he's got an iconic voice and it's Nick Nolte. So like we said earlier, there was that little throwback moment of seeing Kuil 
And uh, it really reminded me of the Empire Strikes Back with those Ugnaughts that were on the um, Cloud City there. Mm-hmm. And and Kuil actually, there was a comment that he made and he said, uh, you know, I'll never go back to being enslaved or I, I, I don't want to live a life of, an, of, of, of slavery. And I, I, I just think that was a callback to, you know, him understanding and knowing that some of his relatives or previous, you know, people that he knew or, or, or just his race in general, you know, had been enslaved and were working on those scrap lines. I thought it was kind of cool. Yep. Yep. So we get a lot of that backstory. Um, with throughout that, we get little tidbits of, of why he's on planet and everything. And um, he definitely is a different looking Ugnaught. He is. It's, it's not the, not the typical look. Um, yeah. Chapter two was kind of loaded. There was a lot of stuff to this one. So I think we, and, and callbacks too. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we, it starts off, it's just him trying to get back to his ship. He's intercepted by another group of bounty hunters where we really see the, the lethality of the weapon as it's for one used kind of a shock in melee as great melee weapon. Yeah. But then when he just wants to finish off one, he shoots it, disintegrates. <laughs> that yeah. bounty hunter's done. Yeah, gone. You know, the, gone. the one thing I noticed, um, and this is one of those little nitpicky things, is the, the bullet strap that he has around his chest for this weapon. Those bullets never change positions, but he has shot that gun a handful of times. So either he keeps <laughs> he keeps refilling it in the same position and always has that one just kind of lingering, you know, out to the side and there's nothing between. But then he's got five or six bullets on the left hand side. Uh, I don't know if he keeps pulling. Uh, he from... also has an entire uh, arsenal around his ankle, too. He does. Yeah. He's got weapons in every crevice of his suit everywhere yep (laughs) literally i mean you get him rolled up in a ball and you're like yep i just won and you know here comes this laser beam out of nowhere and it like saws off your head so yeah they're extremely deadly so you never know what's coming uh that's that's really what uh that's really what i loved about boba fett being you know the bounty hunter from way back in the day is you know he had all those cool gadgets that he used to use so I love the love the new age stuff that we're getting to see here because now the technology can kind of catch up and you get to see even more cool gadgets, cool tech, and uh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next, you know, the, going through it, we see him protecting Baby Yoda. He realizing that this bounty was given out to more than one people because of that bounty hunter group that attacked him. Mm-hmm. But then he gets back to his ship, and we see one of. Something happens to his ship where it's being invaded <laughs> by one of the most annoying creatures in the Star known Wars to galaxy. Any desert, desert residents in the Star Wars galaxy, Jawas. Yes, the great scrap hoarders of the Star Wars <laughs> galaxy <laughs> of the scout. Yes, and they are currently tearing apart his ship to the basics, where it's down to its bones. Like there's there's not much left of the ship. So he goes on a grand journey, uh, trying to take on the entirety of the Sandcrawler and the Jawas. <laughs> Which was very You almost funny. think he gets the upper hand, but then they outsmart him and shock him in the chest. Yeah, that was, it so, was, it was some good comedy mixed in. Um, yes, it was. The It's interesting because now we're getting to see some creatures in the uh, the show now, too. Uh, we got introduced to a Mudhorn. If you guys know what a Mudhorn is, it's basically a giant... 
uh, iron scaled rhinoceros that is the size of a tank. So, yep. Uh, to basically get his ship, the Mando has to get his ship back. It is literally in pieces on uh, the sand crawler, and these Jawas have basically uh, task him with going down to this mudhorn pit and capturing its egg, which, you know, is no small, small task by any means. Uh, yep. So I, I like the fact that we're getting some of the kind of outlying uh, Star Wars canon creatures in, in here as well. It's not just people. We're getting to see more of the scenery, more of the creatures, more of the personalities. And uh, it's interesting because... Um, we also see baby Yoda kind of come to life in this as well. They, they, yeah. they kind of work, work together as a team Un, unbeknownst to uh, Mando, you know, he has got young Yoda with him on this little journey to fight the, uh, find the, the mud horn and, 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 and fight him. Uh, and it's cool because he's in this little floating baby carrier and Mando can control it from, you know, his wrist. It like follows him around, but, this is the first time that we kind of see baby Yoda come to life because he actually ends up using the force here, Mm -hmm. which was, well, even before that, we, we see him attempting to do something. We don't know what, but it's in the beginning of that episode. We we saw him try to, he he, tried to heal Mando, didn't he? Or try to reach out to the wound that Mando had taken that he was then tending to multiple times. So, so force healing even though he is a baby we saw some intellect there yeah that was happening so yep but but yeah that that episode that part where you know the mandalorian had been engaged in combat with the mudhorn he was basically losing he he was down oh, absolutely was he, he had held out his oh and this is another thing that i thought really cool they perfectly detailed what a viral blade looks like <laughs> yeah because up to this point we had we actually had never seen, seen one what what a vibral blade um, actually looks like, what it could be concept like. Yeah. We heard it described, um, but he held it out, and you could see the the blade of his. Albeit, it was a knife. It, it was, was a about knife. a knife. Yeah, you know, not even six inches long. Uh, it was vibrating, and we knew you know you knew for the fact right there. So I was like, ah, look at there, that's yep. so cool. A uh, little geeked out there, but yeah, he's about to be run over by the <laughs> mudhorn, and then Yoda stops this thing. Yoda. Yep. Yeah, baby Yoda literally stops this thing in its tracks and lifts it up off the ground. So it's just kind of hovering there. I thought that was really cool. Mando, of course, is, you know, shocked. He's like, like what in the world like- is going on? <laughs> but it's funny because yep. he also, he recognizes. Because, you know, Mando's been around the galaxy a few times. He he knows what's up. He's, he's fought his handful of Jedis as well. Um, so he... I, I see. I don't know about that. I don't know oh. if he recognizes it as being used the force in action there because he's go, he's walking back to his ship after turning in the egg, which apparently was just a delicacy to the Jawas. Um, he gets all his parts back and he's on his way back with uh, Quill, and he, the uh, Quill asks him, "So explain it to me again." He's like, "I don't even know. I don't even think I understand what I saw." Well, I so I don't think it could be that he didn't understand that the baby right. was using the force, or that he actually understood it was the force. I, I don't I don't think he could sit there and explain, like, hey, I just saw 
a, you know, a baby use the force, but I think he realizes that there's something different about this kid. Like, I, sure. I think he's probably, oh, sure. I think Mando has probably seen the force in action before. And this probably caught his eye. So there's definitely something different uh, in their relationship. And like you said earlier, uh, you probably see a little bit of uh, moral difference from him versus some of these other bounty hunters because they're just strictly just after their bounty. And <clears throat> with Mando, he went against the code. He asked about the bounty, and you're strictly not supposed to do that. So yeah, he's which gets us into episode three. It does get us into episode three. So yeah, Man- Mando is- Mando has kind of become a, a, a rebel now. Yep, I mean you could you could kind of see it start forming as he's learning things from from the Ugnaught, and you know he even offers to bring him on as a crew, and and of course he declines as he's like this is home, this is. You did me a great service by ridding this area of these people that were keeping Yoda captive, baby Yoda captive, or just their their whatever the little town was, right? He rid them of that chaos that was there. So Yeah. They parted ways and the next episode is basically him returning back to this most Isley type area um to turn in the bounty. And we see all sorts of different aliens and races from the oh star wars gosh. universe going through this there were so many callbacks to to the different alien races um and i cannot think of the alien race that has the two large tentacles that come out of their head twi'leks twi'leks yes um uh, multiple we've seen twi'leks multiple times now um yeah. i think the most famous one most everybody would realize and know is the uh, kind of right hand man of jabba the hut he was oh, uh he- he was probably the most famous one that we've had to date. And there's yep. been others. Uh, we see, yep, uh, throughout the animated, yep. throughout the, the other TV shows, we see some come as prominence throughout the prequels. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a... Hopefully, we'll, we'll even see some more coming out in the next movies that are going to be happening, like Rise of the Skywalker. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, very prominent uh, species in the Star Wars galaxy. So, but yeah, we're 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 in episode three now. So he's turning in his bounty, and just going into the same building which he walked into and accepted the bounty from this imperial warlord leader. Um, you can see he's protective of the kid already. Oh yeah, because he's like, hey, be careful with that. Uh, to the stormtrooper, um, he's immediately um, watching over them as they inspect Baby Yoda. And just as he goes to grab the Beskar, which the guy was like, here, you've, you've earned it. They take off Baby Yoda. Um, he he asks, what are you going to do with the kid? And the <laughs> Imperial Warlord immediately comes back and is like, you don't ask those types of questions right. when you're part of the Bounty Hunters Guild. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of, it, it was like a setback for him. He kinda, yeah, he was like, was watch like, your, you know, you're... you're don't ask that. You know you're not supposed to ask that. Right. Be on your way. So, I mean, that that really set the tone for, I think, Mando's character right there. For me, anyways. Um, there's a there's a connection that he's got now with, with baby Yoda that he, he is, yes, he's still a bounty hunter, but he has gone against his guild. And, and Chapter 3 is even called The Sin. So, I mean, they... Mm-hmm. they they hold this so high that they they call it a sin, 
Um, he's basically turned to rebel and gone against, you know, everything that he's raised and everything that he's known. But why do you think, why do you think Mando went, went against his code and asked about his bounty? Like why this one time? Well, one thing to differentiate is he was had two different codes applied to him. He had the code of the Mandalorian and then the code of the Bounty Hunters Guild, which he was a part of. True. And the Mandalorian code allowed the Mandalorian, the Bounty Hunter code to uh, coexist. You know, you could adopt them both. So the sin I see applied to this is part of his, you know, you can see it initially start he starts going against it when he asks that first question, right? Yeah. Then he goes back to, um, you can almost see his remorse as he's taken this entire stack of Beskar armor <laughs> yeah. to the blacksmith um, to get to get made into a full set of armor. Right. You can see that throughout there because he, you know, uh, according to the Mandalorian Code, you're, once you create new armor the beast person or thing that you took on to gain this award is now be going to be your signet. It's like a badge of honor for you. Yeah. But he says, he says it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a noble kill because his prey helped him. And the, the blacksmith is confused by this. And then he explains the prey didn't know he, it was prey. Right. At the time. Well, so, and, you know, the, the blacksmith even uh, stamps him with the mudhorn symbol still. So, I mean, that, that becomes his signet, but I don't know to, to me, the, I think you kind of nailed it on the head when you said there's uh, there's two different codes that Mando's living by. So he's got the bounty hunter code, which not, which not all bounty hunters are are Mandalorians. We we've seen, you know, multiple different races and, just like anything, some are absolute slugs, and some do have moral standards, some don't. Some are just straight up, you know, street thugs, and they're out to make extra buck. Mando's different, though. Mando was an orphan. He was adopted by a very well-off culture and had a family, was raised up with family values. I mean, they had, did they have wars? Did they have things that they struggled with? Absolutely. But I think the sin wasn't relating to him going against the bounty hunter code. I think to him, in my mind, the sin was not adopting this kid and, and doing the right thing because mm. he was taken in. He was okay. adopted. I see that point. You know, he, he wasn't of the same race that the Mandalorians were, but yet people still took him in. They raised him. They gave him a home. And I think there's maybe a little bit of a connection there with him. Like I now have this thing that I need to look after and, and take care of to me. That's, that's what I got out of it anyways. Yeah. I, I can see that point. Um, I went the more, um, I, I would say the, the obvious, uh, connection that it was a sin against the bounty hunter, but definitely see that connection there. Um, that it was a sin against his own conscience, his own raising a part of the Mandalorian code that he should have protected this thing. Yeah. Um, and we see that, that he, you know, uh, he starts to build into that, that he tries to make rights for his wrong, that he immediately goes back to, um, I lost his name, Grief. Yeah, Grief. Um, ask him for more jobs and then ask him who he gave bounties to. He accepts a job just to get out of system and then asks if he knows <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen to Baby Yoda yeah, again. again. Which, uh... So, 
Definitely, definitely a connection there. So uh, there was another interesting point in chapter three that that happened that I think kind of shows Mando's character. And when he went back to get baby Yoda from this facility that, uh, you know, he had gone in to get his reward from, that's where they were holding baby Yoda. And he kept asking, you know, what are they going to be doing to him? And he ends up going back at a later point to pick up baby Yoda. And Mm -hmm. um, the doctor that was there, his name was Dr. Pershing. um, He was, when he walked into this, basically medical room they had baby yoda tied up to this table and you could tell they were doing tests and stuff on him of course he was out like a light but um mando let that doctor live and he said well what kind of experiments were you running on him why were you doing these experiments on him and uh it was kind of a kind of a cryptic moment there wasn't a whole lot of information given but mando did let the doctor live for whatever reason Mm -hmm. Um, well i think he believed him because the doctor said that you know, I just, what I just did saved this kid's life because, you know, right before that point he uses, which was also another really cool tech of either his heads up display of his helmet, or according to some Wikipedias, it was the rifle itself allowed him to hear, uh, you know, people talking through walls. Oh, yeah, so, yeah I do and remember he, that point. He hears that leader tell the doctor, extract what you need and get out, you know, get done with it. So, uh, and we can tell from the onset that Perishing was, uh, wanted the, per- you know, the kid alive because when the warlord said, hey, you can bring him back alive or at a reduced fee, you can bring him back dead. And the, the doctor was shocked at that. He's like, that's not my agreement. That's not the agreement. Right. So you can tell the doctor has some morality to him. And I, I think the Mando connected that. Yeah. Where he doesn't shoot him. Because also he you can see all of his actions are part of necessity. Oh, he yeah. had no need to shoot the doctor. Very, he's got he's, the kid, so he left. He's very calculated. Like there's not yep. there's not unnecessary things done. Uh he's extremely smart, which I think is why makes you know, it's what makes him so good. Yep. But uh And I, I've seen one term one term uh referred to his fighting style is a very elite scrapper. <laughs> uh, yeah. meaning he pulls out every trick in the book he doesn't have one fighting style he doesn't have one type of um way to fight take on an adversary it is uh every trick in the book you can think of from you know knocking a knocking a box into a person to you know cable around their neck and pull them back or just outright fist fight one-armed fist fight against stormtroopers <laughs> yeah He's uh, uh, my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he walks into that that room with the stormtroopers in the uh, the Empire yep, Warlord, yep, yep. and they walk in and go, uh, "There's there's five of us," and he goes, "I like those odds." Yeah, <laughs> it was great. So he's extremely confident. Yeah, he's extremely confident. Uh, he's you know extremely skilled in hand to hand combat, tech tracking, blaster work. He's a very skilled pilot, so. I mean, the, the dude knows his stuff. He's straight up a bad A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can see that from the onset. And, you know, he single-handedly rescues Baby Yoda, gets out of the building, uh, which leads to another really scene of technology we haven't seen yet of a Mandalorian, which apparently is part of their ability to make tech, is these whistling birds that we see the blacksmith craft for him. Yeah. 
and she says, hey, they're rare because they require Beskar to create. Um, but he's in that room, force troopers, guns trained on him. And he lowers down Baby Yoda. And then he just like grips and activates the whistling birds. And they just whistle around the room, tracking the targets. Boom. All the stormtroopers are dead. And done. Yeah. Done. Like, I don't even know if we've seen that technology or that thing used from a Mandalorian yet. But that was pretty cool. It was very cool. Yeah, some really cool tech. Um, basically, the the whole the whole last bit of this show uh, was filled with technology and just him trying to get out of the city with Baby Yoda, and uh, that kind of goes back to him having that moral ground and and you know I think doing the right thing. But this is where we get to see uh, Grief Karga come in again as well because he's now put a bounty out on the Mandalorian because he's betrayed the bounty hunters in in their eyes. So, you know, you've got uh, you've got the bounty hunters in the city now after Mando, which was a very interesting little plot twist. Yep. Uh, as soon as he leaves the building, we could see that all of a sudden basically every bounty hunter in that city has now been sicked on him. Oh yeah. All, well, all heck broke loose. Yeah, I I mean they they all train up. They um obviously are entitled to that the bounty is back on the table. The Mandalorian has it and they all want to take it. Yeah. Which, him uh, dead not not him, of course it's baby Yoda. Yeah. They want to take him dead or alive and uh yeah, it turns out to a quick gunfight uh showing off Mandalorian skills cuz he's able to survive and actually pin down the entire um, hundreds, entire little group there. Hundreds yeah. of guys, not two or three. Yeah, no, this is, he he was surrounded, and he takes them all on. Is able to pin them down for a little while, up until they almost get the upper hand, and is probably then the coolest scene so far uh, of the Mandalorian is when one of the dudes takes a rocket to the chest. We see this random <laughs> rocket come out of somewhere. Yeah, that was great. And, and you, you just know, if, if you're part of Star Wars lore, you know where that rocket came from. Absolutely. And sure enough, it's confirmed seconds later, Mandalorians start jetpacking in yep. and assisting their brother. One of one of the greatest scenes in the show, um, no, matter, no matter a Mandalorian's difference of that person, uh, they're brothers in arms and they will always back one another. And that's, that, yep. that's, uh, that's a really cool call to uh, their loyalty for one another. Uh, yep. Which, really which we kind of skipped over it during the blacksmith scene, but uh, because of the uh the bringing in of that, uh, the best car. And there's one particular uh, Mandalorian that came in a big bruiser, a big bruiser of a Mandalorian. He has, he has some <laughs> different colored armor on. And uh, yep. it's blue, which uh, which stands out. And I don't remember, I don't remember the color coding for blue on their armor and what it means. I remember what the green, red, and gold means, but not the blue. Uh, reliability. Oh yes, reliability. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and he was Thank a big you, dude. Wikipedia. Like he towered over Mando. Yeah, but uh, he got he you he was. Uh, reasonably upset because the best car was stamped with imperial um symbol yeah and he showed that he showed the mandalorians that were gathering uh, awing at the the bounty that and score that the mando 
um, had just brought in to then create his armor. You basically called him a and sellout. He, yeah. Called him a sellout right there. Yeah, like um, where, where's your so, where's your loyalty and why basically right, called because him, the empire yeah basically called him empire scum yeah empire lover right empire because lover, the yeah. empire was the one that came and basically ransacked their entire planet yeah. for the the best car the best armor, car armor and mm -hmm. and it's just the way the empire was running things so um yeah there was a there was a scrap they had viber blades at each other's throats and that's when the blacksmith stepped back in and said um we we also see a little another thing about the Mandalorian code is about the helmet. Um, we don't know the details of why, but apparently you're never supposed to show another being your face. Your face, yeah. And so when you're in public or going to be with them or be anywhere that you could be witnessed by somebody, you have your helmet on and never take it off. And it's part of the code, right? Yeah. So it's also part of being a part of the clan. So. At least this particular clan in general. I think there were some in the animated series that, I think that didn't fall that rule and took their helmet off. Yeah. But this particular one, that was part of their code. Yeah, it's very interesting. When you mentioned helmets, um, and we talked about it earlier, but some of the different colorings on uh, on the, the armor definitely needs to be mentioned. So the Mandalorians, um, in one of the episodes here, chapter, it may have actually been chapter three, we got to see some different Mandalorians guarding the secret entrance to the guild and yep. the clan. And a lot of them had that Boba Fett look to them. So a lot of people were even questioning, well, um, is that Boba Fett? Well, no, it's not because Boba Fett died in the return of the Jedi. Um, but yep. so far he's still dead. So far he's still dead. We haven't seen any resurrections. And I don't think we're going to, uh, unless some type yep. of crazy miracle happens and, uh, you know, they go back in time. In legend, he survives by thermal detonator, but they retcon that. They retcon so that according to time. lore, yes. modern lore, he's still dead. Uh, but so. the, the armor coloration was pretty much identical. So if you look at the, yep. the armor, the green on their helmets and their armor um, have a meaning and so does the red around their visors mm -hmm. so the green helmet actually means duty and the red outlined visor means that they are honoring a parent which i thought was very um, you know specifically called out uh, most of the most of the mandalorians are foundlings so they they were you know raised in probably a lot of them were orphaned so they probably did have a parent uh, mando did not though he didn't have uh, that red and green outlined helmet, except for the very well, beginning. Well, I wonder, right, which is, I was just looking over that. Yeah. That was a, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It's yep. seen that majority of his armor was a, was a burgundy red, yeah. which you could, and would make sense because he was honoring his parents. He was. Or he could very well be honoring his parents that he'd lost yeah. in the uh, galactic, the galactic civil, civil war that war. took place. Mm-hmm. So uh, right before he was adopted by the the guild clans yeah. of the Mandalorian. And then... Uh, or the Mandalore. The Mandalore, yeah. Uh, I think the other call out here was the blacksmith. Um, she wore a very specific helmet. Uh, looked looked very different from, uh, you know, your typical. Um, and it was the mm -hmm. color of gold. And gold actually means vengeance um, in the Mandalorian culture. So um, if if that ties back to... Maybe her having a, um, 
you know, ill will towards something, or maybe she is still got something on the plate that she's wanting vengeance for. I don't know, but uh, that that gold helmet is there for a reason for sure. Yeah. Yep. And then they give their motto right before they, you know, they've got this scrap uh, between the the Mando and the other Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. Viper um, blades and it is the way. No, this is, this the, is way, the way, right? Yes. Because our code is the way of life. Yep, this is so, the way. Uh, and, and we see that called out where um, after they invade the the bruiser, you know, he's right there. He lands right there next to Mandalorian, and he's like, "Go, we'll hold them off." And they le- they look at each other, and he goes, "This is the way." Yeah. And then they, you know, they go part their ways. So, uh, before we leave episode three, we gotta we definitely gotta call out the probably the cutest. Uh, part so far um, in the episode where uh, let's see what was it early in the episode we see uh, on his ship Baby Yoda tried to come up to <laughs> one of the instruments and, and, yes. and screw off I do remember the little ball on the on the shifter little ball. yes yep. uh, and we actually see that later in episodes as well um, that, yep. that, little, that little shifter knob kind of becomes a toy and uh, yep. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Which actually, it was, you know, Baby Yoda got it off of uh, off of there and was playing with it. And it is what, when Mandalore went back to his ship to take that random bounty that he accepted to go finally leave the planet, he saw the knob was missing. Yeah. And then he recalled the Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah. You know, he puts it back on and, he and you know, the conflict starts. The internal conflict starts and that's when he makes the decision to go back. Yeah. But then, it, you know, it's really cute at the end of the episode all you see is this um uh, i'm actually pulling it up right now he uh he doesn't even see yoda you just see him reach forward and unscrew it and all of a sudden you see this tiny little hand come up <laughs> yeah and grab it and pull it back down it. yeah so yeah absolutely that was that was good and it, and it does to your point become a toy uh in future episodes yeah so baby yoda best character baby yoda. one of the best characters ever made and we even get to see more of him yeah. go into episode four, four, which starts out um, different. You know, it doesn't actually focus on Mandalorian anymore. Yeah, this was this was a different feel. Uh, and real quick, a couple of uh, Easter eggs that I thought was kind of fun for chapter four. We we get to see a different pace to this one as well. It's a lot slower than the the previous three, but um, yep. to kick everything off, you you kind of open up into uh, a very vast open scenery. Uh, so Mando is heading to a place called Sorgan. Uh, it's basically a farming community. It's a farming world. There's not a whole lot there, but they open up to a bunch of farmers farming krill. If you didn't know, krill are actually, they're an actual real thing in, in, you know, the world, but in, Star Wars, you know, uh, galaxy. Their their whole thing is they they are created to f- make food, but they're also created to make a specific drink. Uh, it's kind of cool too because uh, you know, first time we get to see them on the screen, they've been mentioned before in uh, previous lore and also a Star Wars, the Star Wars visual encyclopedia that was created. Uh, we get to see a little bit on their expanded creature universe, and the krill were part of it. Um, so those krill, 
If you've uh, watched any Star Wars films or shows, you've probably seen a neon blue drink that people get. And uh, that drink is actually called Spotchka. And it is created by Krill. That's how they, uh, that's why they farm these things so they can make it. And then, uh, I didn't actually realize that until seeing your note here that the blue drink they were talking about yeah. was yep. made from them. That's how they make them. They, uh, so that if you look at the Krill, they're actually they like this neon blue color when they pull them out of the water. Yep. And, uh, it makes this drink. And then, uh, the second really cool Easter egg that I saw was the species of, I guess, they're not not really bounty hunters. They're more like uh, henchmen almost. But it's the dog face species that we've seen in Star Wars before, called the Clatoonians, and uh, we've seen them before. And it was in Return of the Jedi on Jabba's mm -hmm. basically barge as they were heading into uh, the desert lands. There was a um, bounty hunter on his barge called Barado, and it was one of these Clatoonians. So, yep, and we see an entire this village that is oh, krill farmers yeah, yeah. get attacked, and basically it's one of those situations that where farmers exist and there's these um uh warlord type band of these Clatuians that come in every once in a while and they pilfer the goods yeah. right um from from this farmer and probably the other farmers in the area so that they can make money off it or whatever they were doing with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we see that and then it sets up for pans right to now the Mandalorian as he goes to pick this planet, um, and which is Sorgan. Yeah. He picked it because it was so desolate of things. I mean, there was just a few, you know, farming communities. There were no large cities. It was kind of off grid, probably a good place to hide. Right. So that's why he chose it. Yep. And all right, we're just going to have to call it every cute moment of, of um, Baby Yoda in here. But <laughs> yeah. one, one that also turned into a huge meme across the, the social medias is where he's sitting at the controls and he goes over and flicks the switch. <laughs> and the Mandalorian's like, he turns that off. He's like, don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. Yes. And while looking at the Mandalorian, he reaches over and, and touches, touches the button. Again. It's funny because it's like, it is so real. I, the same thing happened. <laughs> so my my oldest son, when he was a baby, he was that he was that kid. So yep. we're having this conversation with him. He does something, you know, uh, and I look at him and go, "Uh, uh don't touch that." And what's he do? He looks me straight in the eyes, and his little arm reaches out and he touches what I just told him not to. And it was the look of, <laughs> yeah. "What are you gonna do about it?" And what are you gonna do? That right. was the look that Baby Yoda gave the bounty hunter, like. What you gonna do about it, punk? Yep, yeah. <laughs> and you, you see this little characteristic that he doesn't listen to the Mandalorian uh, most times. Um, a lot of a childlike aspect in this episode coming from Baby Yoda, where he was like trying to grab onto things, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I need you to stay here. Nope, Baby wanted Baby Yoda wants to come along. He is definitely he's got the baby mentality, for sure. Yep, almost the puppy mentality. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I would consider it almost like puppy mentality. Yeah. Um, because there's some there's there's interesting tidbits of intellect shown in there, to uh, you know childlike um, also mentality yeah. as well, where he just wants to interact with stuff and explore the world, you know. So. Yeah, it's him coming to. He finds this um, 
basically bar in a hut. Yeah. Right. It was a uh, it was bar uh, in a in a very remote hut. Yep. Yeah, very remote hut. You know he's you know he gets Baby Yoda set up and he immediately knows this interesting character which he's concerned about because he wants to be left alone. Mm-hmm. He wants to just wait out time for the bounties to go away with Baby Yoda. And then that interesting character just disappears. So he immediately uh, assigns the bartender to be babysitter, <laughs> babysitter and heads baby. outside. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, this uh, is, uh, it, it was interesting, too, because when we uh, when we first see this character he's talking about, what set him off was her pauldron that she's wearing on her shoulder. Um, because it's a it's a callback to what she used to be. And uh, they they have a meeting outside um not the talking kind the, uh, the with fists with with fists with uh, I'm gonna beat the crap out of you uh, and she holds her yep. she holds her own for sure um so yeah we get... it's one of the few people I think that's the only person so far in the episode that has been able to hold her own with no armor on against the Mandalorian yeah um so the the, the character we're talking about is actually uh we were introduced to a character named Cara dune uh, and we find out that she used to be a shock trooper. So she yep. actually has a bounty on her head and she was doing the same thing that Mando was doing. She was hiding in, uh, in this remote planet called Sorgan. And uh, they kind of have this conversation after beating the crap out of one another. And she says, look, I was here first. Find your, find yourself another planet. And yep. uh, yeah, she, she ends up kind of making a, uh, an ally they end up you know kind of becoming friends in a in a in a sense in a weird sense like i said this yeah. uh, this episode was a lot slower paced but also had some really good content i think so yeah we also see more of his character that of the mandalorian because you know he get he gets to the village um of the creep uh the crow farmers yeah uh through, through, by story elements and uh even the lady there of the almost kind of pseudo leader of this little village mm-hmm. uh, she she has a daughter and she asks about the helmet because even even at this remote area the the legend of the mandalore mandalorian is told out here and how they're fiercest and and one of the greatest fighters in the universe so but they also know the stories about the helmets and they're some of the code they go by so she asks about it she asks about um, when was the last time you shown somebody else your face? Yeah. And and he points to the kid. He says, I was their age. So, which tells us that it was right after the point that he lost his parents in the galactic civil war. He was adopted by the Mandalorians and thereby been abiding by their code ever since. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just who he is. I mean, he knows, yep. you know, he knows nothing else. So... You know, I think I think his decision he made to to kind of leave Baby Yoda behind. There was a little bit of a, a moment where I think there was a, a want to have a relationship and and to do something else. You kind of see that, um, like you said, that pseudo leader of this krill farmers group had come in and made a, you know relationship with mando she kind of took care of him gave him a place to stay brought him food asking some questions about when was the last time you know you took your your face mask off and you could tell there was a connection there and there was a little bit of a pause 
when she was reaching up to grab his helmet and take it off. Like, do I want to be done with this life almost? That's what I got from it anyways. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was, he, part of him is yearning for that stable livelihood, right? Yeah. I think he's, um, I think he's kind of done with the running at this point. Yep. Uh, but you know, before that point, we we see more of him where he's willing to team up with this um, Imperial Shock Trooper once he finds out going to the, the farm to protect them against these bandits. There we go, bandits. Bandits uh, was what I was looking for earlier. Yeah, <laughs> these these bandits hounding this village. Um, they set out and immediately notate they've bitten off more than they can chew because these bandits have an ATST. <laughs> which they find out from the tracks. Did we did we also learn that this is the last ATST? Somewhere I heard that this was the last ATST. Uh I wouldn't say it would be the last. It's whatever what was whatever was here was something left over from imperial occupation or they got their hands on it and got to this planet. Um maybe that maybe that's what I was and thinking. They just of, took it over. It was just the last one on the planet. Yeah, it was something that was scavenged. Uh, it was still in operation, and these bandits happened to get their hands on it. Thereby, they are now terrorizing and controlling this area. <laughs> Which is crazy. To they did a really good job with. Uh, I mean, this thing is old, beat to heck. It is rusted. There's moss growing on it, but yep. uh, they did a good job with the whole bounty hunter shock trooper connection with the farmers we want to help them and we want to you know we want to take out these hooligans that are hoarding these materials right but yeah seeing this and, uh and i gotta say one of the uh bring a very horror aspect into this movie is when they finally unleash their plan to take on the bandits and <laughs> yeah. you know poke the bear per se so they go in they blow up stuff and they're like okay we're waiting on them to come attack the village. Then you can just see, all of a sudden you see these red eyes. <laughs> the, it's the canopy of the ATST yeah. light up and it stands up and enter in a very horror type. I'm running away from something very big and scary that's shooting me. And the way, the way they portray this ATST has probably been the most animal like that I've ever seen them portrayed, and it fits so well. Oh, yeah, yeah. The way it walked, the way it moved back and forth, even its, I'm going to call it decisions, when it got to the village and was sitting on the edge of the water and knew not to go no further, you could argue that was the driver's decision, but it very much felt like this beast, this this feared animal yeah. that you didn't want to take on like you know you're gonna go hey this dragon's terrorizing me right it's gonna have some intellect to it <laughs> right it was very intimidating it's not just gonna step into the water right yeah, yeah. so it was, a, it was a really really good job of bringing old empire tech back in and uh yeah i liked this i really liked this episode because they slowed things down and they they did give some more character to you know what what was going on between Mando and the kid and, and these farmers. And I think even, you know, even Kara and her character, there was, you definitely saw some of that connection. You saw that moral connection that she even had with Mando and these farmers. Um, you know, a shock trooper was no, no thing to scoff at back in the day. They were, they were hardcore. Right. I mean, they were, 
they were like the best of the best of, of a trooper standpoint. Yeah, they they were um, definitely uh, definitely elites. But also, what's interesting is she was a rebellion shock trooper. So she tells <laughs> yeah. a story about going in and cleaning up imperial places. Yeah, so um, she's seen some stuff for sure. Yes. She she alludes to that it was a you go in do stuff no questions asked get us the area yeah type of shock trooper, um, which is why she was so hardened and and um, and also a great fighter yeah. as well. I'm anxious to see more on her. I definitely think they're, they'll bring they'll, they'll definitely bring her back. They have to. Yeah. They they really have to. Even though they left her at the end of it, you you feel like she's left on the planet and and gonna stay there for her sanctuary yeah no which I think, ironically is the title of that episode yeah, it's called sanctuary so um but we find out that that's not mando's last staying place uh, because they're towards the end we actually find out that another bounty hunter has showed up on sorgan after they have defeated the uh you know the clatoonians and they've kind of reclaimed the the farmer's land form we find out that uh there's a new bounty hunter that has come into their their space after Baby Yoda, and uh, they take yep. they take him out. So, uh, really, no place. Well, and that's also yeah, that's where it shifts from. Up until that point, he had been assumed that they were tracking him. Yeah. But then, according to the fob of that bounty hunter, it was no, it wasn't tracking him. It was tracking the kid. So he knows that he can't. Yeah. He has to always be with the kid to protect him. He can't just he can't, leave the kid. He can't just leave him now. So, yeah, that really that really changed the pace of the show, and I think sets sets them up for a really big uh, success. As long as they tie things together correctly, and. Uh, Disney Disney has had some flops with a few other you know solo based stories. They were really good movies, but um, in in a sense they were flops from a yep. from a story standpoint and and the fan base. This is a little different. Um, we've got some episodic you know bases, and Disney has a chance to really really tell a good story. So I think uh, I think we're going in the right direction. Uh, this one is just covering the first four episodes. Um, our, our series two of this will actually be covering the last four episodes, which were on episodes five and six. Seven mm -hmm. comes out here next week, and then eight the week after that. Yes, and, and so far it's it's been a... Everybody looks forward to the Friday release, so I'll bet they change it up for next week. It's going to be Wednesday. It'll be Wednesday. Because yes. they don't want to interact with the Rise of Skywalker launch. Yep. That um, is coming out December 20th. 20th? Yep. Got my tickets. I'm going. We uh, we have ours. We will be going as well. So expect another podcast review of the last Star Wars film, including the Skywalkers. Yes. That is coming. That is coming for sure. I'm excited about this movie. I really, really am. Well, guys, I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. This has been a lot of fun just to break down all of our favorite parts of The Mandalorian. And Victus, I know you are extremely prepped and ready for episodes 5, 6, 7, and 8. Because 5 and 6 have been amazing. We just finished watching those a couple of nights ago. And uh, they are packed and loaded with tons of Easter eggs and tons of exciting updates and news to this story. So I can't wait to uh, get Chapter 2 recorded. 
Absolutely. And again, thank you guys for tuning in. We enjoy creating this content and greatly appreciate that you guys enjoy listening to this content of us going and talking about different things, all things geekery. But don't forget, we got a new home, which you can find us at anchor.fm forward slash all things geekery. If you did enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe to All Things Geekery Podcast with any of your favorite podcasting apps or drop us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Yeah, and you guys can find the ATG family out on our social spaces, uh, specifically Twitter. You can find myself, that's at Detached, with an X before and after the name. You can find Victus out there. He is under a new handle, and that is at VictusTTV. And you can find our podcasting Twitter. You can find all our shenanigans and talk out there at the ATG cast. And you guys can also join our community discord. And I will make sure that all of those links are in the show notes below. And if you guys would like to tune in for some live gaming content, I stream over on Twitch Monday through Friday in the evenings, eight to midnight. You can find me at twitch.tv forward slash Victus Dark Arrow. Yeah, and also we have a brand new partner on the podcast, guys, and it is Into the AM. So if you and your friends want some really sweet clothing, we now have a code you guys can use. So go to www.intotheam.com, check out their gear, and if you guys want, just type in ATG at checkout, and you can get 10% off of your entire checkout. But guys, that wraps up this podcast. So as always, you guys stay awesome, and we will see you in the next episode.